Well, Mark Few gave Hunter Salas just 17 minutes in Gonzaga's two most recent games combined, despite the team getting gashed by guards Khalil Shabazz and Brandon Podzimski. What is the deal with that? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Happy Thursday. Happy game day to those of you who are listening ahead of Gonzaga's matchup against BYU on Thursday evening. Tons of fantastic previews for the BYU game during Wednesday's episode. If you haven't gotten there, check it out. Today we're talking Hunter Salas here in the first segment, and we're going to close out the show doing some listen grading some listener-submitted hot takes for our Andy Locke segment. Uh, for now, though, we got to talk Hunter Salas. Uh, this was a, a listener-submitted mailbag question uh, by Larry via Gmail that I did not get to because it was sent later than I had recorded, but it was a topic that I kind of had been planning to discuss in some capacity, so felt like a good opportunity to talk about it here. Uh, Hunter Salas played 11 minutes against the University of San Francisco, despite guards Khalil Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts going off against the Bulldogs. He then played just six minutes against Santa Clara in a game where Brandon Podzimski and forward Keyshawn Justice had monster nights for the Broncos. Uh, and I kind of just want to talk a little bit about what this means, what what the situation is, if there's anything more to it uh, than, uh, than we're seeing right here, because uh, frankly, it's a little bit baffling, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I, I, you guys know I've been a, a pretty good defender of Mark Few and the decisions that he makes. And sometimes I know that there's been levied criticisms of him for uh, Gonzaga's lack of going particularly deep into their rotation. Uh, seven, seven man lineups, eight man lineups periodically. Uh, rarely do we see nine man rotations. And I know that uh, every year it seems like we're having discussions in the off season of there's no way Mark Few is going to only be able to play eight guys this year. He's going to have to play nine. He's going to have to play nine. He's got to play 10. And, he doesn't. It's, just, it's rare for him to do so. And when Gonzaga is in close games, he tends to really, really ride his starting lineup. And um, that's kind of what we've seen in these few games. Uh, going through them one by one again, Salas, 11 points against the University of San Francisco. Uh, he had two rebounds, two points. He drew a charge. I believe it was against Tyrell Roberts uh, in that game. And now part of the reason that he played, he had a limited role in that game. There's two reasons. Uh, one, he got in foul trouble. Uh, he committed three fouls in 11 minutes, uh, and when you can pick up your third foul, you tend to sit for a long period of time, and that's understandable, but there were still opportunities to go back to him and bring him back into the game. He still had two fouls to give before he had one foul to give, and then a second one would have fouled him out, but he had he had opportunities to come back in the game and still play some defense. Uh, the other main reason, of course, was the performance of Rasir Bolton. He had a fantastic game, and I think when you're looking at playing time evaluations and trying to say, why didn't this guy play more, et cetera, et cetera, you do have to look at the players who played in front of them. And in this particular situation, I think the, the obvious substitution pattern is typically Salas for Bolton. Salas also comes in for Nolan Hickman. He occasionally comes in for Julian Strother. The Zags can play some kind of positionless basketball in some ways and allow uh, some more unique substitution patterns. But in this situation, Salas got in foul trouble. He didn't play much in the second half, in part because of the foul trouble and in part because Rasir Bolton had 21 points in 25 minutes. He went absolutely nuclear. One of the best games we've seen him play in a Gonzaga uniform, and Gonzaga needed Every single one of those points, quite literally, the final two points that Rasir Bolton scored were the eventual game winners with seven seconds to go. 
uh, in the fight in the you know in the closing seconds of that game on the road at War Memorial. Uh, so it was kind of just one of those situations. Now Malachi Smith played 17 minutes in that game compared to Hunter Salas's 11, and I think you could make an argument, considering neither of them were exceptionally productive offensively that Salas and his defensive prowess would have been uh, would have made more sense. I think Salas lines up really well against both Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts, as well as you can. I mean, those are really talented guards, perhaps the best backcourt duo in the conference. That's not the one at Gonzaga. And I think that Salas would have been a good player to have in, to keep Shabazz in front of him, to keep Roberts in front of him, to not let those guys get open, open looks. I mean, Shabazz had 17 points, uh, six of 15 from the field. So not super efficient there, but he was four of eight from deep. Meanwhile, Roberts had 18 points. He was six for 11 from the field and two of four from deep. So both guys had had really nice games, 35 combined points uh, between the two of them. Uh, Again, six three-pointers made 50% from the three uh, for those two guys in that game. So you could understand the argument for why he should have perhaps played more. And then even more baffling. I mean, six minutes against Santa Clara. That's it. Six minutes. Yeah, two points in that game, one of three shooting. And I think that that's kind of your key. Hunter's not providing a lot offensively right now. Over his last six games, Hunter Salas is averaging 2.8 points per game, 1.7 assists, 1.5 rebounds. He's shooting 55% on two-pointers, but he's only shooting 11% on three-pointers. But again, we're talking about six-game sample size and not a lot of minutes in those games. I'd point to the fact that he's averaging 1.7 assists and 0.5 turnovers, so only three turnovers in his last six games for Salas. Uh, I understand that the offense isn't really – there right now and has been inconsistent throughout his two years in Spokane, quite honestly, but you got to give him opportunities to, to contribute on that end of the floor. And more importantly, even if he's not contributing on the end of the floor, he's a better defensive player than anybody else. And that's not to knock Rasir Bolton's defense. He's very good on that end of the floor. Nolan Hickman has worked very, very hard to be an adequate defensive player. Julian Strother rarely gets the praise that he should for his defensive prowess, but Hunter Salas is better than those guys. He's better than all those guys. He's a really, really good defensive player. And when you watch Brandon Podzimski go out and drop 17 points on 14 shots, and you kind of start to wonder, like, why are we not putting our best perimeter defensive player on the – I mean, Podzimski and Khalil Shabazz are probably the best guards Gonzaga is going to face this year. They got some other good guards coming up their way. Uh, Houston Millette at Pepperdine, they got them one more time. Tyler Robertson at the University of Portland, he's very talented. They got them uh, another time as well, at least two more times, actually. So they got some good guards coming down the pipeline that they're going to be playing, and we're just not seeing Salas really get that much of an opportunity. Uh, in that Santa Clara game, Rasir Bolden played all 40 minutes. He played every minute of that game. Meanwhile, Julian Strother played 34 minutes. Nolan Hickman played 32. Hickman, that was his breakout game, 20 points on eight of nine shooting. Can't really argue with the results there. He had a fantastic night. But Rasir Bolden had nine points on four of 13 shooting. It was not his night. It was not his night. I'm not going to argue that Rasir Bolden, or excuse me, that Hunter Salas is a, a better, more complete basketball player than Rasir Bolden, because right now he's not. He maybe has higher potential, et cetera, et cetera. But right now he is not a better basketball player than Rasir Bolton. But you can't tell me that the spread is so wide right now that Rasir Bolton plays all 40 minutes and Hunter Hunter Salas plays just six minutes in a game where Gonzaga's defense was quite frankly bad. It was not good against Santa Clara. They did not play well on that end of the floor. Uh, Santa Clara took advantage of some pick and rolls. They got some guys in isolation. They got some buckets. Podzimski is really, really good. Uh, Gonzaga fans really got introduced to him in a significant way in that game. He he looked fantastic. He got to the rim really well. He got to open space. He, he hit mid, mid-range jumpers. Uh, he looked really good, and I think Hunter Salas would have would have done a better job defending him than what we saw. Again, Bolton, not a bad defensive player, but if he's you know going to miss nine shots and only score nine points, 
I'd rather have Hunter Salas out there playing better defense. And again, Bolton was just coming off a really, really nice performance. So I don't want to pick on him too much. Uh, but these minutes could come from Malachi Smith. Malachi Smith didn't play a particular, he only played eight minutes in the game against Santa Clara. So there wasn't a lot of extra minutes to go around there. Uh, but it just, it feels to me like Hunter's getting squeezed when he offers something that nobody else on this roster offers, or he offers a better skill set than the players have. He's the best perimeter defensive player on this team. You could Anton Watson and him are close, but they play different positions. So it's kind of moot. It's sort of irrelevant by and large Hunter Salas among the guard group, best perimeter defensive player. Gonzaga struggled in two consecutive games in part because of really good guard play from the opposing teams. It feels to me like Mark few is too reliant on his starting lineup too reliant on the five guys who begin the game and not giving enough time to some of those guys coming off the bench, notably including Hunter Salas. Now we're going to come back in the second segment and we're going to grade listener submitted hot takes for the rest of the show. Uh, we're going to talk about Drew Timmy's assist numbers. We're going to talk about how many Zags are going to average scoring in double figures this season. But before we do that, a word from Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are fully back in action while the NFL inches closer to the playoffs. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. And make sure to check out the brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we are talking listener submitted hot takes this is the Andy Lock segment. For those of you who have missed this, new to the show, welcome to Locked on Zags. What we do here for Andy Locks, it is a play on Goldilocks. Too hot, too cold, or just right. What I do is, or I guess what you do, dear listeners, you submit your hot takes to me. Uh, you can do this via Twitter at AndyPattonCBB. You can reach out to me via email, AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. You hit me with your hot takes. I grade them too hot which means that it's very, very unlikely to happen. Too cold, which means it is actually likely to happen. Or just right. Just right doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to happen. It means that it is a good, hot take. I'll explain more as we get into the content. This first listener-submitted hot take comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, Drew will be the National Player of the Year if the Zags make a deep run in March. Yeah, so this is an example of a hot take that I think is too cold. I think yes. I think this is very likely to be the case. I think right now Zach Eady is the front runner, uh, but Oscar Shibway is kind of out of contention with Kentucky really struggling. Armando Baycott hasn't been the player that he was in previous years. He also is dealing with an injury right now. I think they're kind of out of the picture. There are other players who, of course, entered the picture. Azulis Tubelis out of Arizona has been fantastic this year. Marcus Sasser at Houston has been fantastic. Hunter Dickinson and Trace Jackson Davis have been guys to, to keep an eye on as well. So I think Drew is kind of right in the driver's seat alongside Edie. Those are your two front runners right now. And I think, honestly, if the Zags make a deep run, uh, if Timmy is the big part of that, which, of course, he will be, I think he's got a really good chance of winning National Player of the Year. 
Next hot take here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, Drew Timmy averages over four assists per game by the end of the WCC season. This is great. This is a perfect hot take. I think it's just right. Uh, it's not going to be easy, and I'm not sure I would necessarily bet on this to happen. I did the math here. Uh, Drew Timmy would need to average 4.6 assists for the rest of the games. This is through the Chicago State game in early March. Uh, if Drew Timmy averaged 4.6 assists for the rest of the season, that would make his season average exactly four assists per game. Through Drew Timmy's first three WCC games, the Pepperdine game, the San Francisco game, the Santa Clara game, he is averaging 4.3 assists per game. So he is just below where he needs to be in order to get to the, to the situation where he averages four assists overall for the season. I'm not sure he's going to quite get there. I think Gonzaga is going to be overly reliant on him uh, to score for the rest of the WCC season. So I'm not quite sure he'll get there. I think he'll average around four for the rest of the WCC season. That means that his overall uh, average assist numbers will be between like 3.7, 3.8. So he'll be really close. He'll be right in that conversation. I'm not quite sure he'll get there, but that's a quality hot take. Next up, this one comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, at the end of conference play, both USF and Santa Clara will finish ahead of BYU and behind St. Mary's. I almost think this is too cold, to be perfectly honest, because I kind of, that's that's my projection. At least I'm more confident in Santa Clara finishing ahead of BYU. I don't think either team is going to beat St. Mary's. I think St. Mary's is would be is more likely to finish first than third, quite honestly. Uh, I think that they're pretty entrenched in being the one of the top two teams in the conference. Uh, BYU, to me, is probably in that 3-4-5 range. I think Santa Clara is a better team. I think San Francisco is close. To being a better team, they already have two conference losses, though. So I think the BYU is probably going to finish ahead of San Francisco. Probably not going to finish ahead of Santa Clara, if I had to guess. It would go Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Santa Clara, BYU, San Francisco. So probably a little too cold, although I think it's it's going to be tough for both those teams to finish ahead of BYU. Next take here comes from at Havila Benjamin on Twitter, who says, the Zags will finish the season with six players averaging 10-plus points per game. Yeah, this is too hot. Uh, Watson's at nine and a half points per game. He might get there. Hickman's at 8.8 points per game. He could maybe get there. He'd have to average about 12 for the rest of the season. Malachi Smith's at 8.1 points per game. He'd have to average like 13 in order to get to, to a season average of over 10 points per game. I just don't see that happening. I don't see Watson, Hickman, and Smith all averaging considerably more than 10 points per game for the rest of the season. So I just don't see that happening. I don't think Gonzaga is that balanced. Quite honestly, I don't think that six players averaging 10 points per game is really, really hard. And on a team with Drew Timmy with a national player of the year candidate like that, I just don't think the Zags are going to be so reliant. I don't think they're going to spread the love that much. I think Drew's going to do a lot of the scoring. I think Julian Rossier are going to do a lot of the scoring. And I think the secondary pieces are going to be between eight and nine points per game, kind of like they are now. But I'd be surprised to see three more guys all the way up over 10 points per game. That said, quality hot take, just a little too hot for my taste. Next one here, the final one of this segment here comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. Jacob says, with so much parity in college basketball landscape, the Zags will finish with a one seed in March. I think it's close to being just right. I don't see it, to be honest. I think the Zags would have to go basically perfect from here on out. I think if they were absolutely perfect, finished as a three-loss team, won the WCC championship, maybe maybe they then become a one seed. They're still kind of dependent on some other teams doing some some certain things. You look at, you know, Houston's kind of in the mix right now. 
Uh, Texas is in the mix. UConn and Purdue are still in the mix, despite struggling a little bit lately. Kansas is, is perhaps the best team in the entire country right now. Uh, UCLA absolutely in the mix as well. So Gonzaga is kind of more on the 2-3 line right now. Again, I think they maybe get to a one seed if they win every single game from here on out, but I don't think that's going to happen. They got two more games against St. Mary's, probably three more games against St. Mary's, depending on uh, how things shake out in the WCC tournament. Uh, They got two more against BYU. They got one more each against San Francisco and Santa Clara. I think I, I don't see them going undefeated in that stretch. And one more loss, even if that's all they take. Even if they finish the season with just four losses, that's enough for them to probably not be a one seed unless there's some absolutely catastrophic cannibalism going on around the rest of the league, which could could honestly happen. It wouldn't be shocking to me to see a lot of the other top tier teams lose a handful of games going mm-hmm. forward. But by and large, I think this is a, a Gonzaga team that's more likely to end up on the three line, maybe the two line, a three or four line is kind of more where I expect them to end up, though. Well, Dominic Harris's future, a Ben Gregg NIL scenario, and the Lady Zag seating in March is all going to be covered in the final segment of today's show. But before, before we get there, today's episode is sponsored by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all of the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You have got to try Built Bar. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, they're for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They only have 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now if you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment three. Still any patents. Still... Locked on Zags, and we're still here grading listener submitted hot takes for our Andy Locks segment. We got five more hot takes to get through here today before we get to Gonzaga's Thursday evening matchup against the BYU Cougars at the Marriott Center in Provo, Utah. This next hot take is another one from our friend Austin via Gmail. Austin says, Now that Bolton is coming alive from a slow start, he will become the second leading option over Strother. Yeah, I think this is just right in terms of a hot take. But I do not think it's going to happen. Julian Strother is a better basketball player than Rasir Bolton. And it's not. Bolton's a fantastic scorer. He's a good outside shooter. He's arguably a more consistent outside shooter. But Strother's bigger. He's stronger. He, he, he kind of presents more of a matchup situation for opposing teams. At six foot seven, he can go down low. He can shoot from three. He can create his own shot. I just, Bolton hasn't been that consistent, I believe, and Austin can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this was submitted before the Santa Clara game. So it was after we saw Rasir have that excellent performance against San Francisco. He kind of fell back to earth again against Santa Clara again, nine points in that one on four of 13 shooting. So, you know, we just, we haven't seen him be that consistent guy. And it's been a little frustrating, quite honestly, for the Zags, because he was that guy last year. He was Mr. Consistent. He was kind of the fourth option behind Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, and Andrew Nembhard. You could argue he was the fifth option with Julian Strother in that mix as well. And I think that's maybe more where Rasir shines. 
I think asking him to be the second option or the third option is actually a negative for him. I don't think that's where his strength lies. I think part of the reason that he thrives at Gonzaga and part of the reason he had such an efficient year last year is because he wasn't being asked to be that guy. When he was at Iowa State, he was that guy. He replaced Tyrese Halliburton after he got injured and then ended up going to the NBA. And for about a year and a half, Rasir Bolton was the starting point guard at Iowa State. He was the guy. And if I'm not mistaken, they went something like 14 and 48 in that stretch of time. That's not Rasir's fault. The talent around him was abysmal. It just wasn't a good team. But he wanted to come to a situation where he was the fourth, fifth option. He was maybe not necessarily going to be relied upon to be a guy who has to score 20 every single night or even 15 every single night. Now we're seeing him kind of figure out still adjusting to a new role. And it's not that dramatically different of a role, but he is asked to be more of a scorer, more of a guy who looks for his own shot, a guy who brings the ball down the court and actually like gets Gonzaga into their offense. He didn't really do that last year. And I think some of the struggles we've seen from him are because he's kind of still adjusting to figuring out that role. So for me, asking him or expecting him to step into a bigger role, to step into a secondary creator role behind or a secondary scorer role behind Drew Timmy would be a net negative. Now, Strother hasn't gripped that that role with the kind of conviction we hope that he would. And that's been a big part of Gonzaga's struggles this year is who's the secondary scorer behind Drew Timmy? Why isn't somebody doing it consistently? Strother is the leader in points per game, and he's like two and a half points ahead of Rasir Bolton. So he has a, a lead there by a fairly significant margin. But folks who've been watching the games know that night in and night out, you don't necessarily know if Strother's going to step into that role or not. Uh, same with Bolton. I don't think asking Bolton to be that guy is necessarily going to be helpful for him long-term. I think he's better suited to be a third or a fourth option. And I think Strother's better suited to be a secondary option if he can get there consistency-wise, which is a big storyline for Gonzaga for the rest of the season. Next take here comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, Dom will be in the starting rotation in 2023. This is just right. I think this is a good hot take, but I'll be quite honest with you. I don't see it. And the reason I don't see it is because I don't think Nolan Hickman's leaving. I don't think Hunter Salas is leaving. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's effectively your reasoning right there. I don't think either of those guys are bound for the NBA after this year. I don't think either of those guys are going to be transferring after this year. So Hickman probably stay, stays the starting point guard next year. Rasir Bolton, he leaves. Maybe Julian Strother leaves. I think that's pretty likely. You know, you're going to lose Anton Watson and, and, and Drew Timmy most likely. And we don't know for sure about that. Malachi Smith also out the door. So, yeah, there's a lot of players that are going to be leaving. There's a lot of minutes that are going to be gained. Specifically, though, I don't think Dom goes from being outside of the rotation as the ninth, tenth man all the way into the starting lineup. I think he steps into a much bigger role, like a lot bigger role. But I think Nolan Hickman's the starting point guard. I think Hunter Salas is the starting combo guard. And I think Gonzaga is going to replenish via the transfer portal, as they have done the last couple of years, as they like to do as many years as they possibly can. Uh, even before players could transfer penalty-free, Zags were really, really adamant about getting guys free a grad transfer. You know, guys like Gino Crandall, Aaron Cook, uh, Byron Wesley, et cetera, et cetera. They've had a bunch of really high quality graduate transfers come into the program. And I think they're going to do that again. So they're going to add some veteran guy, a la Malachi Smith, a la Rasir Bolton. And then of course you have the freshman Dusty Stromer, a top 50 player in the recruiting class of 2023. I'd be fairly surprised if Dusty came in and immediately started, but I think he's going to be in the mix for playing time as well. So for me, the rotation for guards next year looks something like Hickman, Salas, Dom, Stromer, and then probably a graduate transfer. I don't think 
out or a transfer. It doesn't necessarily have to be a graduate transfer, I should say. But I don't think out of that mix that Dom is necessarily going to be a starter. I think he's a high-level backup. I think he's maybe the backup point guard, depending on who they find via the transfer portal. And I think Salas and Dusty kind of play more off-ball roles. Uh, but I, I And I think there's a chance that the Zags play a lot of three-guard lineups next year as well, depending on, again, who they find in the transfer portal, how confident they feel about Ben Gregg and, and Efton Reed playing big minutes. But I think by and large that Dominic Harris is going to be playing – 20-ish, maybe even 25 minutes per game next year as a high-level player. I just am not confident he's going to step straight into the starting lineup. Next one here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, the Lady Zags are an Elite Eight team. Yeah, I think this is just right. I think this is a solid prediction, a solid hot take. I don't know how confident I am in that do- in them doing that necessarily. Uh, the WCC is not good this year, and I hate using this argument because it's been used against Gonzaga on, well, on both sides, on the men's and women's side for, for decades, but the WCC for the women's side is pretty weak. And uh, the ladies Zags played some really good non-conference teams. They played Louisville. They played Tennessee. They played Marquette. But the problem is, and they played Stanford. I shouldn't discount the Stanford game, but Stanford ran them out of a gym. Louisville and Tennessee were very nice wins for the ladies Zags, but those teams have fallen off significantly. Louisville was ranked sixth when Gonzaga beat them. They, I believe that they are now unranked or at least well outside of being sixth. Uh, Tennessee fell out of the rankings as well after Gonzaga beat them, and they have not climbed back into the rankings as of the last time that I checked. So their non-conference wins don't look as good. Their conference doesn't look particularly strong. This isn't me saying that Gonzaga, that doesn't mean they're good enough to be an Elite Eight team. It means that they're probably not going to get a very high seed, which is unfortunate. I think they're likely to land in the 6-7 range. Hopefully they can avoid the very dreaded 8-9 range. Uh, that's very unfortunate to end up there. Uh, of course, they did last year, and they ended up playing Louisville in the second round. Uh, I think if they can get a six seed, maybe they can sneak uh, into the Sweet 16 with a couple of nice wins there over an 11 seed uh, and then over a three seed. I think they have the ability to do that. Once you get to the Sweet 16, who the heck knows? Anything could happen at that point, and maybe an Elite Eight is on the table for them. Uh, but I, I see this team being more likely to be a six, seven, eight seed who, who wins a first round game and then has to play a really, really good team in the second round. Maybe they can get by them. Maybe not. Uh, this is a talented team. Obviously, the Trunk Twins are fantastic. Uh, Vani Ejim has been the exact player we thought that she would be uh, after being the sixth woman of the year last year coming off the bench. Brenda Maxwell transferred from Utah, shooting 50 plus percent from deep. She's been fantastic. This year, absolutely fantastic. A really, really sharp addition by Lisa Fortier in the transfer portal. So I think this is a very good team. I think they're a top 15, top 20 team in the country. I think they have a very good chance of going to a Sweet 16, depending on how the seeding lines out. Elite Eight, you know, like you said, you just got to, if you're in the Sweet 16, you just got to win one more game and you got to get to the Elite Eight. So I think it's possible, hence why I think it's a good hot take. But I, I would be fairly surprised to see that happen. Two more takes here on the show. This next one comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. Dad Risk says, Zag's average margin of victory in the WCC road games this year is under 10 points. Yeah, this is almost too cold. It's almost too cold at this point. Uh, obviously, the Zags have played two road games right now. Uh, the average margin of victory in those games is what, like four? <laughs> Something like that. I think they won by two and six in those two games. So, so far, that has absolutely been the case. They got BYU on Thursday night. Uh, for those of you listening on Thursday, that's if the Zags win that one by 10-plus points, that's going to be a nice accomplishment for them because that's going to be a really, really tough game in the Rock. Uh, that place is going to be popping off because fans are going to be ready uh, to see Gonzaga lose in their final time playing uh, at that at the Marriott Center 
while as a member of the WCC, at least I should say, while BYU is a member of the WCC. So I think the Zags are going to have a hard time winning a lot of road games by more than 10. They do get a chance to play Pacific on the road. Uh, they do get a chance to play a pseudo home game against Portland on the road. Uh, they don't have San Diego, which doesn't help because I think they can beat San Diego by more than 10 points quite easily. But that is not a game that is on their calendar as a road game. So I think it's going to be kind of close. I think they'll average around 10 points per game uh, as the margin of victory in the WCC. But I, I think there's a pretty good chance that it is under that as well. All right. Final take here of the show comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, Ben Gregg gets an NIL deal with a hockey and or rugby team. I didn't really know how to grade this one. I, I went with too hot because I don't think it's going to happen, mostly because I don't think that NIL deals are signed by other teams. Like other college teams aren't going to sign Ben Gregg to an NIL deal. Maybe some uh, goofy team like a, a, a semi-professional league uh, signs him to advertise for the team. I also know that this is just a facetious submission uh, in part because of Ben Gregg's, I assume, style, his physicality, his look. Uh, he looks like somebody who who might mess some people up on a rugby field. Uh, I also know that Ben Gregg played some softball this summer. Uh, for those of you who missed this, uh, he played in a, some kind of charity event. I think it was Mike James put it together. It was a charity event in Portland for a celebrity softball game. And there's a nice picture of Ben Gregg on first base uh, next to the first baseman who he's chatting up, who happens to be, uh, you know, NBA superstar, future Hall of Famer, Kevin Durant. So uh, maybe he'll get a deal with a, a softball league. Uh, maybe he'll get a deal with an NIL or a rugby deal, or excuse me, a hockey or a rugby team. Uh, he does look the part, that is for sure. It has been really fun to see him emerge uh, into a, a physical, tough, you know, kind of grinded out backup center, the kind of player that Gonzaga really needs. He's been inconsistent, uh, and hopefully his consistency will kind of find him as the season goes on. But uh, I, I like the sentiment, and I like the to imagine Ben Gregg uh, advertising for a hockey team, maybe got some fake fake teeth in there so he looks uh, looks more like a hockey player because uh, he definitely fits the fits the bill a little bit all right that's going to do it for me today uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming your week hopefully two more shows uh, to make up for missing on monday uh, also if you haven't done so yet please check out the locked on college basketball podcast it's a five days per week podcast myself co-host isaac shade of locked on tar heels uh, it's fantastic lots of guests on there lots of great conversation around all of college basketball not just what's happening over here on the West Coast. It's available on wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on YouTube. If you haven't done so yet, go to youtube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. And while you're at it, go search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button there as well. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.